Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Yonescu and I'm your host, and today we're joined again, back-to-back weeks with Mr. George Roshka Jr. George, how are you now, an hour after we recorded, <laughs> started recording the first episode? Hey, this, uh, you know, feels good. It feels like I'm running a marathon right now. <laughs> it's it's nice because you feel super efficient. Like oh, yes. getting, like the fact that I get to... In, in a two hour plus time frame, record two weeks worth of work. It's like, wow, like I, I can be at peace this weekend, you know, not having to worry <laughs> about the next one. But uh, thank you for coming on. We got something, a really good episode uh, for um, this week. And I uh, just want to mention a couple of announcements as I usually do regarding uh, the Instagram account at the Potter's House for any and all updates. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you can leave uh, a written review or tap the stars. And if you do that, it really helps the exposure of the show. And for that written review, I can read that out loud on the episode as well. So thank you guys for doing that. And thank you uh, for those of you who have already done it. So again, third week in a row, third consecutive week tradition of answering your anonymous questions that we received via Instagram. Uh, We answered one last week. We answered two the previous week and this week again because we do have a, a tight schedule we're going to answer one of the questions that you guys provided and uh it's it's a question that george was very so much looking forward to um and this is the question and george i'm gonna let you start just because i feel like maybe you're more of an expert on this because you're looking on the out you know outside looking in and i'm kind of still treading these waters um the question is this is from the listener or from the follower I'm worried to enter a dating relationship due to fear of rejection because of current and past struggles. Any advice? All right. This is going to be a, a, a tough one for me to answer because I, I want to... Because you never got rejected. <laughs> <laughs> because I only asked one girl out and I married her. <laughs> it's like Jordan, six for six in the finals, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was, yeah, I was very young when, when I met Angie. And Angie was actually the only person I ever dated, courted. Um, and I asked her to marry me and she said yes. And so I never had to go through any of those heartaches. Now, obviously, uh, reality is, uh, different for, for others and not everybody gets to experience what I got to experience. Um, and I, I guess maybe the other thing we have to assume when we answer that question is that a guy is asking it. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to necessarily dive into the other side too. Yeah. Uh, we probably just don't have enough time, but I think the, the fear of rejection uh, is real in men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's probably more real today than it was in the past. Um, I mean, I've, I remember, you know, talking with my dad about when, when he was, a, you know, a young guy. And it seemed like guys back then were just like, you know, just more macho about it. You know, they had the guts to go up to a girl and respect her enough to ask her, you know, Hey, you know, will you, you know, go out with me or, you know, the way that they did it back then. Right. But I I think this fear of rejection is something that just boys need to get over. Yeah. If you want to be a man in all things in life, there's going to be a fear of rejection. You're going to get a job. You're going to go for an interview. You might be rejected. You're going to be a salesperson. You're going to reject it a lot. Right. But obviously, when we come to human relationships that can, you know, lead to eventually marriage, 
uh, and, and hopefully that's the intent um, because guys don't just go around asking girls and, and playing with, with people's hearts. That, that's not cool. Um, so I guess my long-winded answer to something like this is uh, I wouldn't even say be brave because you shouldn't, we shouldn't call that brave. Just that's your part to do. Yeah. The expectation is for you to get up, go there, ask the question. Don't be awkward about it. Don't look up at the sky when you're talking to that person. Be confident. You know, look them in, in the eyes. Not for too long because then it gets awkward, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but just be as normal. And, you know, if you don't want to shake hands because maybe you have sweaty palms or other things, you know, uh, find out a way that you could do it in as natural way as possible. But stop worrying about this this fear because worrying and fearing about it doesn't change anything. Well, I guess the nuance of this question um, has to do with uh, you know the, the wording that was used regarding current and past struggles. And uh, this can either be, as you mentioned, maybe them lacking something or maybe they didn't have a good example or, um, you know, I think the correct answer, as you mentioned, is to kind of man up and do it. But um, I don't want to disregard your struggles, but at the same time, work on your struggles first, get them ironed out, and then try to resolve the issue. Then you kind of can go because if you're going to enter in this kind of situation with your current struggles, they're only going to amplify later on. Yeah. And, and I think also, ha- have you ever done a root cause analysis of why you were rejected? Right. <laughs> and, and is it by one person multiple times? And they're, they're, the, the different kind of situations and combinations could be endless here. So we don't want to speculate and go down a, a certain rabbit trail. But I think just in general, the, the fear of rejection is real for men. Um, it, it, it shouldn't be at least felt to this degree where it becomes like this big anxiety. Yes, we all have butterflies in our stomach. Yeah. But that doesn't rise up to the category of fear of being rejected. No, that's just being nervous, you know. So we have to also learn how to use our words properly. Um, But if it's a real fear, yes, we just have to man up. Yeah, and it's difficult, obviously, the the cultural implications. And, I mean— 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it was different. You know, it was easier for, yeah, the, maybe the men were braver, more bold, but uh, it was culturally acceptable. But now that there's the whole toxic masculinity and, um, you know, blending me, of me genders. Too movement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> me too movement. So it's, it's a little more difficult and we yeah. understand that, but understand that first, hey, your identity is in Christ. And if you understand that fully, then you, then you don't have fear of rejection because, they rejected Christ first. And even in the evangelistic standpoint, people will hate you and revile you um, unsolicited, by the way. So it's not like you're going up to them. They're going to just, regardless of the fact that you are a Christian, they're going to hate you and revile you for the sake of the gospel, as we see in Scripture. So understand that this issue is not going to go away anytime soon, um, but it's something that we have to keep in mind. So uh, with that, let's transition to... Um, the topic of our episode, which is Christian nationalism, uh, which is something that I've been hearing a lot on Twitter recently. Um, a lot of these liberal Christian forums have been talking about it. It's, again, a new term that has been brought up, that has been invented by 
by people today, and they're attributing this to the Christian world. So let's start by defining some terms. What is Christian nationalism? What is nationalism? What does it entail? ready when you are so yes defining the terms and i think that's the problem with this particular term because it it really i can't put my finger on it uh you can go to you know far left websites like you know slate.com and vox and um and they'll define it one way you can go to cnn and you know nbc they'll they'll define another way so i'd be curious if we could just do like a quick search on wikipedia what does wikipedia say right um the problem is is that christian nationalism has been um just conflated to almost mean whatever they want it to mean on whatever day they are they might be talking about january 6th yeah you know and all of a sudden that is christian nationalism and then the next time they'll be talking about the pro-life movement in america all of a sudden that is christian nationalism and it's like wait up no no no. the christian pro-life movement has been around in america for 50 years or more because there was abortions before roe v wade and there was a different kind of pro-life movement at that time so why is it all of a sudden that they're calling it Christian nationalism now and not not even two years ago? They never called it that. Right. So this is where where I despise the left because they're able to use words that they don't define yeah. and get away with it every day of the week. Um, and, and so I, I think to be credible. Uh, we, we need to somehow define it. It's hard to define it. So I think the only thing that, for me, I get back to is let's first define nationalism. Because mm-hmm. what does that mean? And then um, if you add the adjective of Christian in front of it, uh, let's see you know, what, what, what it does to it. So, so nationalism in the most basic form is the celebration of your nation. Mm-hmm. Why is that a bad thing, you know, or a good thing? Um, we can, you know, investigate that. Um, so if it's about celebrating your nation, then, well, what is a nation, right? So nations unite from smaller, um, you know, entities. Usually it's families that then form, form tribes, that then form uh, ethnic groups, that then form um, some kind of like a shared language, shared tradition, shared culture, and that has usually defined nations in the past. Um, In America, we live in a very unique nation because we are really defined by our, you know, geographical boundary. Mm -hmm. Um, And over time, our language and culture and things have changed But what's interesting about us as a nation is that even though 
we've we've had different people groups come in because we're an, a nation of immigrants, right, from all over the world. There have been some constants, and the constants in America really have been three things, and they are actually inscribed on every coin that we have. E pluribus in unum, out of many, one. Uh, liberty, meaning ordered liberty, and in God we trust. Yeah. Those are the three at the things at the base of our culture that have always united us. And so no matter where people have come from, they've come from because they want to be here, first and foremost. Nobody's forcing you to come to America. And they want to be here because they probably don't know of these three things. Maybe some of us knew because, like, for example, us coming from Romania, we knew that there was religious freedom in America, and then America's a Christian nation, right? Um, but even if they didn't know any of these three things, they saw the outworking of these three things in society at large, and they say, we like that. That's where we want to be. And the outworking of these three things is things like free markets and capitalism, yeah. freedom of religion, and how— you know, Hindus are not coming here and killing Christians like they are in in India, right? Or you don't have, you know, um, you know, go way back in the past, even our own, in our own Christian history, right? Going out and fighting holy wars, you know, and inquisitions. No, there is this ordered liberty in how we've structured our society, even though we built it on Judeo-Christian principles, mm -hmm. right? But interestingly enough, all those bad white patriarchal men set up a society that even they said, I'm not going to force you to be a Christian, even though I'm one. Mm -hmm. Wow. Nobody talks about that, right? Yeah, nobody talks about that. Yet that is always implied under Christian nationalism. Why do Christians want to make America a Christian nation all over again? You're going to impose your morality on me, your Christianity on me. We got to separate church and state. Wait up. America has always been founded on these Judeo-Christian principles. So the Christians even of today, they're, they're not saying, let us instate, or not even reinstate, as some people say, because there has never been a state-sponsored religion in America. And that, that was a brilliant thing that our Christian forefathers established. Um, so, so yes, nationalism... It's good. You want to celebrate the things that bring you together as a nation? Liberty? Yeah. Celebrate it. Out of many, one, let's celebrate that. Yes, we have you know all of these different ethnicities that have come to America. In God we trust. Let's celebrate that. We, we recognize that the only reason we have this nation is because we're indebted to the Bible. Because the Bible gave us these principles. So these are all great things. So now if we are to celebrate that, and if you call that Christian nationalism, then what's wrong with that? And why is then this phrase being used always pejoratively or in a derogatory sense? Yeah, That's where it's crazy for me. And I can see how the left, the non-Christian left, wants to use it, but where... We, where it really gets to me is where the Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today and those kind of organizations, the progressive Christians, how they want to use it. Mm -hmm. 
because it's like, okay, well then let's go to the Bible. What are nations? In the Old Testament, God called Abraham out of the land of the Chaldeans. And what did he say? I will make of you a great nation. Exactly. So then Abraham, at any point in his time and or his descendants, were not allowed to be nationalists, celebrate the nation God had created. I mean, look at how many um, you know holidays that the nation of Israel had that were instituted by God. Mm-hmm. And those holidays, yes, they were you know, a celebration of freedom, right? For example, when they came out of Egypt, right? There was a whole holiday around that, and it's Passover, and they celebrated all of these things. So the nation celebrated that. There was obviously a spiritual dimension to it, but there was just also a practical dimension to it. Like, man, remember back in the days of Egypt, our parents... And now you and I are here in our own country and we get to have our own farm and our own lands and this and that. And we have this freedom, right? So if if they were allowed to do that, and by the definition, the traditional definition of nationalism, that was nationalism. And that was good. And God, in fact, ordered a lot of that to happen and to take place. Then what's wrong with Americans getting together for a barbecue on, on the 4th and saying we're we're happy to be in this country. We're we're glad that we're in this country. And if we put up signs of in God we trust, and now that makes it a Christian nationalism thing, what's what's bad about that? So if that's bad, then what what are we allowed to do? What's the alternative, right? They never answer that. No, and it's it's funny how after six twenty four, you know, the pre- previous episode. Um, literally like 10 days later is Independence Day here in America. And there were so many leftists who were like, there's nothing to celebrate in America. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. like shut up. Like, wh- what do you mean nothing to celebrate? Like, you've been, you, there's always something to complain about. And I like that you differentiate it because they don't define things. They just try to throw everything under this umbrella of Christian nationalism. Um, what Christian nationalism is, is enforcing the Judeo Christian principles that this nation was established on. It's not forcing our religion onto you. Because mm-hmm. there's this common distinction. There's two different terms that we have to uh, differentiate because they're not the same. One of them is Christian nationalism, as we just defined. And second is theocracy. Yes. And this, um, for those of you who do not know what a theocracy is, it's basically uh, systematic governing by priests anointed by God. So this is basically how the nation of Israel operated from the time of Moses until Saul was elected king. Uh, for for those hundreds of years, that's that's basically what a theocracy was, where the priests, uh, the f- officials chosen by God, were basically running everything, and they had to follow every bit and piece of the law, of the Mosaic law that was provided to them uh, in, in the wilderness. So um, that is very different from Christian nationalism, if you can agree. I completely agree. I completely agree. And, and here's... I go back to the statement I made is, isn't it wonderful that our founding fathers, who a lot of them were Christians, did not form a theocracy? Because they could have. This was was their land. They could have said, you know what? We're going to do it right by Scripture, and we're going to do it this way. And yet they had the wisdom to understand that, no, God is not establishing a theocracy. He did that only once, Mm -hmm. and that was with the people of Israel. 
And he has given us now just a set of principles by which to guide uh, our, our nation. And they, they were just such brilliant thinkers. And the more and more I studied them and read about them, I'm like, we could have never written those things in 2022. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. And crazy enough, the, the people of Israel, again, wanted another theocracy in the time of Jesus. They, when Jesus was coming, yes. they, wanted to, they wanted to go back to a theocracy because they realized the bondage that they were in from the oppressive Roman government. And they were saying they were praising Jesus at first um, because they wanted him to be some military leader. And when they found out he, he didn't come for that purpose, that's when they flipped on him. Yep. So the, again, it all reverts back to that. And now the left uh, want their own form of nationalism. They want their own form of theocracy of just abominable things and just a, a senseless, immoral world. And that's what they want. And they're, they're blaming the Christians for, again, this Christian nationalism, the fact that we have Judeo-Christian principles that we uh, adhere to, but now they just want this unending, immoral spiral of a life that we can have that, that has no sense whatsoever. See, they never talk about what's the alternative. The alternative, in fact, that we see from the left is Marxist nationalism. Mm. Because what most people don't realize is that Marxism is not just a philosophy. It's a religion in and of itself. It's more than an ideology. And so Marxism will always make you bow down to its creeds. Yep. So you don't like, you know, critical theory, you're, you're gone. You're canceled. Um, you don't believe in critical theory applied to sex and gender, uh, you're you're gone. You're can you're canceled. You're a homophobe, transphobe. Um, so they have very strict creeds by which they adhere to. They want to impose that morality. They want to celebrate that, and yet to them that's not called nationalism, because they don't want to define it again. They always are so squirmy, and by not defining terms, they can get away with it. Because then tomorrow or two weeks from now when you ask them, hey, you made this accusation, well, they get to make up their own definition on the spot. So th that's what I don't, I don't like. Now, the one thing that the Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today and other, others like them on the progressive Christian side is they like to cozy up to the left by always showing how these things can be bad mm -hmm. from a Christian worldview. And a lot of times I read those and I agree. But once again, is they just cozy up to the left by showing how they are bad and they are never showing you how that can be good. Yeah, if you just you know bring a knife and always show how it's used for a bad purpose, but not showing that, hey, you could be a good butcher with a knife and you can cut some really good you know slabs of steak and you yeah. know, pieces of meat and make a tomahawk and all you know, ribeye. If if you, if all you talk about is you know that people were were murdered with that knife, you know then then I don't know you're just some sick masochist. I I don't know what else you are, and that's where I have a problem with them is because they do not show the beauty. We've forgotten to look at the beauty of of certain things, right? Because love, love is a good thing, and it also could be a a bad thing, quote unquote, right? Because you could love the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Now, in our society, we have to say it that way because these terms have been redefined so much. Under the Christian worldview, when you love the wrong thing, that's called idolatry and lust. We have different words for that. Yeah. 
but in in our culture we've we've lost that um so yes can nationalism be bad oh definitely just like a knife could be used for bad so when christians happen to put the nation above god yes that's bad that's called idolatry anything that you put above god you could put your you know in our days a game boy above god Mm -hmm. and on how long you've played on it or playstation 5 these days or staying on instagram you know or tweeting all you know your 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 entire you know time um and disregarding all of your other responsibilities in life so that's where if you're just constantly presenting bad and not presenting the the good aspects of it that's where i believe these organizations just get it completely wrong and we can't just be so one-sided by presenting just just the evil ways of using something show us how, how to use it for good so if you believe christian nationalism is bad show us how christian nationalism could be good yeah show both sides yes so the gospel coalition can you please publish an article on how according to your views is christian nationalism good i'm curious to read that article yeah and for me, I always found it kind of annoying. And and um, again, it's the left just making up terms whenever it's convenient for them. But I find it annoying whenever they have a specific term and then they just slap the word Christian in front of it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be a Christian nationalist. I want to be a Christian. So, George, what does that mean? Like, I guess in regards to this particular topic and how we can kind of cross that boundary, uh, where do Christians, according to... The, the commands that we find in Scripture, uh, the obedience we have to have towards God, where do we sometimes have to cross that boundary and become a quote-unquote Christian nationalist? Well, you, you look at the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And so when we decided to move from Romania and come to America, we, we were christians who happen to be romanians who now happen to live in america whose now new neighbors happen to be americans Mm -hmm. and um who reside in this nation even though yes there are you know indians and mexicans and vietnamese people and koreans and chinese right these are your new neighbors and according to the gospel you are to love them as yourself how do you love your neighbor? Well, from Scripture, we know that we are called to go and make disciples of all nations. We love our neighbors when we are honest enough to tell them the truth. Because if you withhold the truth from somebody, and this is not just any kind of truth. Imagine if you had the cure for cancer in, in a pill, and you withheld that from somebody. But imagine if it's more devastating than that, you withheld the truth from somebody who could have been saved for an eternity mm-hmm. and not be in damnation in hell. So that that's the more spiritual side of things. But the practical side of things, how do we love? We love by laying our life down for others. So what happens if we're called to go to war against some absolute evil right america world war ii wanted to stay out of it for such a long time and then 
the day of infamy happened, December 7th, 1941. We had to go to war against yeah. Japan, and then we had to go to war against the Axis powers in, uh, in, in Europe. As a Christian, I guess by, the, by today's terms, you'd be a Christian nationalist for having gone to war for your country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is a good thing. That is an honorable thing. The greatest, the greatest generation, we call it, right? They went and they fought World War II. They came back and they built the infrastructure of America. Uh, they were also the parents to the baby boomer generation. They had enough energy to have kids, right? Yeah. And raise them up. Um, you know, they they then fought Korean War, Vietnam Vietnam War. Everything they that they did to grow our economy helped us to defeat the Cold War, and we made the Soviet Union collapse under its own economic weight. Uh, I mean, that those bunch of Christian nationalists who did that, thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. And what that was right. Look, let's look at that time period regarding the spiritual life of America from 1945. Till like uh, the '90s, where we had all all of these things going on, we were actually a Christian nation. We had, I mean, in 1950, we had churches on every block. Everyone was going to was going to church. I mean, whether or not they were saved people, I mean, that's a different story. But we were a Christian nation, and people, like you said, I mean, but look at it now. Look at look at the degradation of our society and how, uh, I mean, militarily we're we're weaker. Um, our the executive branch <laughs> far weaker than we've ever been ever and what 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 we don't have what christian nationalism there's nothing it's an atheist world it's a world that's re, it's a country that's rejecting god that it's taking god out of their schools out of the education and replacing it like you mentioned critical race theory uh replacing it with um hating the patriarchy replacing it with um just immorality at the sexual level as well and look, look what we have now. We have gender-bending men. Yes. We don't have strong men who, who said, hey, sign me up for war. You know, now we have drafts, you know, for, and now they're trying to get out of those drafts, you know, by changing their genders. I don't know. Like, we have, it's, it's just crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy what's going on. You know, there is a book called Democracy in America that was written by Alexis de Tocqueville. And he was a French guy, you know, brilliant mind. Um, who in the 1830s wanted to come to the United States because this is now 50 years after, 60 years after the founding of our nation, right? And he wanted to see, like, how in the world did America go from these piddly little colonies to what it was in, in the 1830s? And it was already starting to make waves on the grand stage of, of the world. And um, obviously the French had helped the, the Americans of course, yeah. during, during the war. Uh, and he came here and he said that he wanted to find where America's greatness came from. So he went to the cities. And he saw that the cities were, you know, industrious. And, you know, the, the, um, right at, during that time and in the next couple decades, you were going to have this huge industrial revolution. So he got to see, like, right the inception of that. He said, I went to its harbors because obviously trade and the, you know, naval power was huge back then. You know, we defeated the British, who were the most powerful navy in the world. He said, I went to its harbors to find its greatness. I didn't find it there. I didn't find it in the cities. 
And he says, it wasn't until I went into the churches of America that I found its greatness. Because I found, he said, the engine that drives, the, the furnace that is there providing the energy. And he said that the strange thing about America was that they were just a bunch of Christian nationalists. They were people who every Sunday went to church and the pews were filled and pastors were there preaching the word of God and they were instilling this Christian ethic in their communities and into the hearers, you know, that came every single Sunday. And he says that's when he uncovered America's greatness. And this was a Frenchman yeah. <laughs> who came to the America 50 years later in juxtaposition to what the French had. The French had their own revolution right after ours in 1789. Mm -hmm. But guess what? They had a revolution that was now based on secularism. In their revolution, they had their founding fathers, quote-unquote, who said things like, we want to strangle the last king of England with the guts of the last priest, sorry, of, of France, with the guts of the last priest of France. They were tired of monarchy, and they were tired of whatever Christianity they had the at Catholic that time, Church, the Catholic yeah. Church, yeah. right? And so they wanted to get away with both, mm -hmm. not realizing that they needed the wisdom and discernment to understand that, yes, they could abandon Catholicism, all right, in its uh, very, you know, idolatrous form, but they shouldn't have abandoned Christianity in its purest form found in Scripture, mm -hmm. not how it had been completely reshaped by the Catholic Church. Whereas in America, we didn't do that. So in just those 60 years from the founding of both America and France as brand new nations who came up with their own new constitutions— America still had the same constitution, and it still has the same one today. France has gone through over 20 different constitutions, and it was, I believe, 13 by the time Alexis de Tocqueville came to the America. And that's why he was wanting to figure out what's different about America than about us. They wanted to abandon God completely. It's impossible to have a nation, a stable nation, without Judeo-Christian principles. So we can argue that nationalism in its purest form is rooted in the Bible, is rooted in Christianity. That's something that's God-instilled. And the antithesis to that, ironically, especially in the days that we live in today, is another shadow form of nationalism that has a very similar meaning, but it's twisted, and it's called pride. Yes. The pride parade. Again, you're proud of something, but you're proud of the wrong thing. And it's a twist. Not only is it a response, right? Because the let's understand this. Satan and all the entities of the enemy, they're not creators. They're only manipulators and they're twisters and they're deceivers, right? They cannot create. Only God can create. So we have this nationalism that was instilled by God that was made perfect for us to use and to thrive in, in the times, as we mentioned earlier in Genesis uh, you know, in the times of Abraham and then the, the nation of Israel to even today, you know, our founding fathers uh, 250 years ago. And then we have this counterfeit nationalism, which is 
pride in in these evil acts and these evil things, and we see that as a response to whatever the Christians were doing in, like, for example, 1830. Now, I believe truly, as you mentioned, that the Christ—I mean, the Christians over there were the engine of the prosperity of America, hands down. I mean, it was built on those principles, and I mean, we can just credit that to, I mean, a lot of the, the big players in the, in the Great Awakening, like, you know, George Whitfield and, and Jonathan Edwards and a lot of these guys, these God-fearing men who just were the embodiment of nationalism. Yeah. And in, in the truest sense. And, and that, and they were, you can just tell by the fire of their sermons and their, uh, the fact that they didn't care. They were, they were so nationalist in a sense where they were going to every little town and just preaching the gospel. And that's what they did, and that's what they prioritized. And and here's how bad American nationalism is. It's so bad that we are the nation that sends out the most help to all other nations in the world. Oh, yeah. That's how bad it is. Mm. And that's where, um, I, I again, nobody points out the good. Everybody focuses on some random bad thing. Yes, you can always find dirty laundry in anybody's house, right? Mm-hmm. But... What has that person actually done? What are all the good things? Can you compare good to good? And let's see how how people stand up. Tell me when was the last time that Italy sent ships worth of cargo of, you know, goods to impoverished nations, right? And how many times they do it year after year after year after year. And now let's just focus on, because Christian nationalism is the bad thing, all right? Let's focus on the Christian nationalists in America. Let's focus on the church in America. Tell me how many hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars every year that comes out of donations from people in regular pews that get sent via missionaries and via nonprofit organizations throughout the world. This is unheard of. Let's go back to Italy. Can you add up all the Christian nationalists in Italy, those Italians that are Christians, how much money are they putting together to send out and be a blessing to the nations? How about Romania, much poorer country, right? We've, we've been, you know, spoiled uh, back at home in Romania, People are used to receiving, yep. not to giving. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of dependence creates a, a, a horrible ethic, a horrible work ethic, a horrible dependency, obvious all the time on foreign aid. And it, and it really um, stifles creativity and innovation, something that is God has built in us to be co-creators yeah. in a smaller sense with him. And that means creating businesses, creating jobs, creating ideas that will then turn into these inventions or innovations that will, you know, help our fellow human beings. So what I see from the outside looking in at the Christian church in America and these Christian nationalists is we have such an example to live by that I don't think that our millennial and Gen Z Christian generation, I don't know how we're going to ever be able to fill in the shoes because there are some big shoes to fill. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 
those actions, especially them being on the receiving end, is like this cancer spreading of, like you said, Marxist nationalism. Yeah. Just receiving, now working hard. You're not, you you know, you have to pressurize a coal to make a diamond, right? You have to Mm -hmm. be forced in a situation and be creative. You can't just be lollygagging and just do whatever and just start being creative. No, like you you, got to force something out. You got to be put in a corner. And I mean, that's why here in America, we have this workaholic culture, at least for the people who are carrying their weight, um, because everyone else, you know, lives on our backs in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And they're used to it. And, and, you know, yes, the workaholic culture could have come out of this, you know, Puritan and Protestant work ethic. Yeah. All right. And we trace that all the way back. And we've learned about that in, in our, you know, U.S. history classes in high school. But again, anything good could be corrupted to become bad. So, you know, now, especially in corporate America, I see so many people posting on LinkedIn like, oh, I, I need to, you know, go and get away. And this consumerism and, you know, workaholic culture is doing such bad things to my mental health. And it's like, wait up. That truth has always been true, even before you realize that. Mm-hmm. But what led us here was not capitalism or the Puritan or Protestant work ethic. No, it was a corruption of that ethic because that ethic also told us that six days a man shall work, but on the seventh he shall rest. Yeah. Right. And so why are you working 24 seven? Right. Well, because I want to get ahead. Why are you doing that? Well, maybe because you're you're too materialistic and you've stopped thinking about the other dimensions of your humanity that really need your attention. And now, finally, when it's caught up to you, when your mental health is in the drain, when you don't feel like you have a purpose in life, you now just turn around and blame it on capitalism or on our consumerism culture or workaholic culture. No, no, no. You don't get to do that. You have to be wise enough to go back and see where did you go wrong, not where those principles were wrong, because they weren't. The Protestant work ethic is great. We are told by God to work. In fact, Adam in the garden, in in the perfect state that he was in, was told to work. So um, th- there are so many topics here that are uh, you know tied to this whole Christian nationalism idea. Because once again, like we've tried to kind of un- define it here, it's hard to define because nobody wants to define it. Yeah. Because as soon as you define it, then you can clearly show the good and the bad to it. Um, but it's always just this loose term. And, and I feel like where they usually try to go after the bad uh, connotations of it is any kind of Judeo-Christian-inspired principle, free markets, capitalism, Protestant work ethic, uh, you know, liberty and God we trust, e pluribus unum. They, they will look at those solid foundations and they're going to try to undermine that because marxism is revolutionary in nature you always have to revolt against the norm and so the norm happens to be judeo-christian ethics in america and they don't like that yeah absolutely now just kind of like a different take here but um obviously we kind of established what this was and how nationalism could be a good thing and a bad thing as well too bad they only focus on the bad parts of it. Um, but when can we as Christians, let's say we're Christian nationalists, when can we cross the line 
that is not necessarily guided by Scripture. So, uh, where, where, maybe in our overzealous state, can cross certain boundaries that we were not called to cross, and maybe come off as, um, you know, maybe hypocritical, or maybe kind of taking things a little too far without having that the wisdom of the Spirit guiding us. Yeah, so this is, I think, uh, some prime examples are in, in like Gen Z and Gen Y, you know, millennial believers will come into the church and they'll say, I felt like I was at a 4th of July parade inside the church, right? Uh, just because they might have seen that within the church there was an American flag um, and like a Christian flag there and that maybe uh, the pastor's sermons were very practical in their applications um, and maybe the pastor referenced a lot of horrible Biden policies and good Trump policies, right? So as Christians, we have to understand that the house of the Lord is the house of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we do not bring our necessarily our, our nationalism uh, and every aspect of that in there. Yes, we as Romanians or Americans are attending church. We don't lose that part of our identity because, in fact, we see that even in, in the book of Revelation, it shows that up in heaven, you know, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and every nation. So even Jesus isn't stripping us of our nationality in heaven mm -hmm. because God established the, the nations and the families of the earth, right? Um, but we can't turn our church services into 4th of July parades. Mm -hmm. That That's completely unwise. The house of the Lord is the house of the Lord, and it's meant to be a house of prayer. It's meant to be a house where we focus on worshiping Him, not that we don't focus on worshiping Him in the, in the rest of, uh, of, of our life and every aspect of our life, uh, but we do not do those kind of things out of a church service. Um, and, and so... Um, I think that, again, just like anything that is good, it can be overly, you know, inflated. But then also, you cannot be a Gen Z person that comes into church that happens to have an American flag and automatically assume, oh, I got to walk out of this church. This church is a Christian nationalist church. Mm -hmm. it, come on. You, you can't just throw that term out at everything that you see that potentially represents the nation through, you know, symbolism. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, especially here locally in Southern California, we had Pastor Jack Hibbs and Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, who had, you know, strong affiliations with Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk and a lot of the conservative um, Candace Owens and a lot of con the conservative voices. And they did a lot of, you know, rallies, I think midweek, but also um, was very involved in their Sunday services. And I think, again, there's a time and place for that. And we appreciate all the work they've done. And it's, it's, definitely made a difference, especially in such a blue state here in, in California. Uh, but I completely agree with you where the church service is consecrated for giving glory to God, whether that's in prayer, in a time of worship, or preaching the word. Mm -hmm. And that should be it. And that's why I appreciate a lot of these, um, you know, old school guys. Uh, I'll give an example. Like I'm, I'll compare like, you know, Tim Keller and John MacArthur. Um, you know, John MacArthur doesn't have, you know, and I know a lot of people have a problem with them with Strange Fire, but let's just look over that for a sec. Um, 
John MacArthur doesn't really comment. He, he, there were, I think, three times in his 50-plus year pastoral uh, career where he actually preached on a topic that was happening at that day. Mm-hmm. One of those was literally 9-11. So he does not divert from God's word. He, it's it's controversial. How uh, or he Even the most controversial things, he, he will not divert from God's word. However, no one ever doubts his position on homosexuality, his position on abortion, and definitely not his position as women pastors, as we've heard. Um, he is very, I mean, he never, he doesn't respond to all these cultural things, but everyone knows where he stands, right? Yeah. And and uh, the guy is patriotic. I'm sure he's, I mean, he was a football player growing up. He's conservative. Uh, I, I'm, if I had to bet, he probably voted for Trump. Uh, we know John Piper didn't, but that's a totally different story. Um, but again, he focused on, all that on God's word and what he was doing in the church, and he knew it was a higher calling. But there wasn't any any anti-America agenda in there. Now, when you have TGC and Tim Keller and all these guys who are constantly tweeting and responding in, in ambiguous statements, um, now you can't... The, the, a lot of people are going to have this on their radar, like, oh, Christian nationalism, as soon as they see it, like you said, an American flag. Or as soon as they provide their input on... Uh, who they're going to vote for in, in, in that in that in that election, or what they register as? You know, I you know certain someone I heard is registered a Democrat in the state of New York. You know, I'm not going to say any more names, but it's 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 bad. It's bad. S- obviously, be clear on where you stand on very controversial issues. Don't be afraid for the fight back or the pushback. But at the same time, the church service is consecrated for God's word, and no matter how much of a burning passion you have. Use that. Use the other six days of the week to promote that, but save that for God's word. Because at the end of the day, you're not trying to win people to a social gospel. You're not trying to win people to a political gospel. You're trying to win people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's the only gospel that saves and transforms. doesn't matter how conservative you are. Amen. And I think that's where pastors really need to understand that um, our only hope is the gospel, actually. Because... If the gospel does indeed transform a person's heart and mind and civilizes them, they'll know how to vote correctly. Oh, yeah. But if we have untransformed, (laughs) non-transformed people, uh, they are still dead in their trespasses and sins. They won't know how to vote correctly. They won't know how to apply, you know, Christian uh, ethics and principles into culture and into their day-to-day lives they are not salt and light in culture so that's what we need we need pastors to continue focusing on on preaching the message but preaching the message also involves a lot of practical application you look at paul's letters you knew exactly where you know paul stood and not paul because that was the lord speaking through paul right Mm -hmm. you know exactly where god stands on all of these hot top topic issues right you don't read the bible leaving like "Mm, what should i be doing on this issue no no no. the bible is always very clear um so yes we need to put a huge emphasis back on focusing on preaching the gospel but also understanding that the process of sanctification also requires being very upfront on the practical side of how the gospel is applied. Yeah, absolutely. And as we wrap this episode up, George, 
Um, and it kind of like whatever, however long statement you want to make, but what is, what do you see as the, as the future of, of our country regarding this topic of Christian nationalism? What direction do you see this going, um, both from a national point of view and, and from our personal perspective? Yeah, I, I think we need to redeem this word. I, I think because of the fact that we're coming here into the midterms, it's going to be overly hyped. They're going to tr- the left is going to try to use Christian nationalism as a phrase uh, against people. So that that way, it just automatically anybody who's a Democrat, oh, I don't I don't want to you know be a Christian nationalist. I can't vote for that candidate. So there will be smear campaigns uh, on that effort. If they succeed with it in 2022, they will definitely keep continue using it for 2024. If there is the red wave that happens right now in November uh, and they don't succeed, um, I think they're going to have to rethink their strategy. Um, if in the meantime, we as Christians can redeem it and can help educate people by like... It starts off in, in our own, you know, work, our neighbors. If, like, somebody calls you a Christian nationalist, say, um, yes, I am one, but what do you mean by it? Because I have a definition for it. Mm-hmm. So we should have a definition for it. Yeah. Uh, and we should present an, an example of what that means for us, just like we gave example on this this uh, episode of your podcast, right? Um, so... If we can do that, then we can redeem these words and these phrases. Um, otherwise, I, I could see how um, people are going to be running away from trying to be labeled as such. So this is what we're called to do. As Christians, we're called to redeem culture. We're called to redeem people to Christ. Um, and so there is the greater sense of redemption, right? But then there's also the lower practical sense of redemption of everything that Christ touches gets healed and everything the left touches obviously just gets corrupted. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's that's what we need to keep in mind. There's a lot of things that are going to happen. And um, as long as we have our definition for it, you know, we, we can always point out the flaws in their argument. So, uh, George, thank you so much for, for being on here, uh, for tackling this, this subject. I know it's something that's been kind of circulating in the news and um, if I had to bet, a lot of the listeners probably have never heard of this term. They're just maybe not not too focused on what's going on in the news, which could be a good thing. <laughs> you know, again, good and bad things in every situation. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and uh, it, was, it was great insight. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Uh, God bless you, man. God bless you, too. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, I appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, this episode was enlightening and Uh, illuminating to the current condition of our country, of the churches here in America, and just the outlook on our personal lives as well. So again, quickly, Instagram at The Potter's House uh, for any and all updates. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you guys know the drill. Uh, Hopefully we'll see you guys soon. Not really quite sure, but we will uh, keep you updated as soon as we can. But I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time.